A musician, singer, songwriter, interactive performer, industry mentor, teacher, activist, and all-round visionary. With nearly 20 years in the music business, independent artist Erica has roots in both the UK and Japan, lending itself beautifully to crafting innovative and immersive pop sounds, leading listeners down a kaleidoscope path of adventure and inhibition. Previous credits include providing backing vocals and musicianship for Skunk and Nancy, extensive tours for solo artist Mika, and guest vocals with number one UK band Bastille. Alongside her creative platform and adding to her plethora of skill sets, she has racked up a near decade of educating, tutoring, and mentoring the next generation of musicians and artists through developmental programs, online conversations, and showcases such as her Creative Courage Circle on Instagram. Please welcome the ever-evolving Erica. This intro ever. Thank you so much. I was quite looking forward to the intro because I've heard the others from the podcast. I'm like, oh yeah. It's really good for the ego. <laughs> it's always a good place to start. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing on this sunny Sunday? I'm good. I'm good. I just went mad and just decided to clean the house and I never clean the house. So <laughs> I'm sure your house is happy for it. That's true. I know. I know my husband definitely will be. We're both allergic to cleaning. So okay, okay, good, good. You can't be avoided for too long. <laughs> exactly. Two creatives living in a house together is not is not the oh, greatest for cleanliness. So let's start by colouring the landscape for us listeners into your origins and beginnings. What sure. or who was little Erica? Oh, little Erica. Little yeah. Erica. She was um defender of Japanese food at lunchtime <laughs> she was <laughs> yeah like you know people be like uh what's that and I'd be like you don't know because yeah. you've never eaten it before and it's amazing <laughs> so yeah I was the fighter of uh, different foods um okay. and she loved running around reading books getting lost in different worlds in books um nice. cycling being outside playing mm. you know and then the classic what all performers do is forcing whoever comes into the house into a performance with <laughs> with the young with my younger sister Mickey at the time who begrudgingly did it just for me <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> Was that in the UK or was that? Uh... It was in the UK, yeah. So I grew up in, um, I grew up in Wimbledon, southwest London. And um, yeah, dual heritage. So, um, well, British, Irish dad and Japanese mum. And, but I went to Japan. I was fortunate enough to go either every year or every 18 months and try and see my grandparents. And obviously my mum wants to see her family and her mm. friends there and, so mm-hmm. we we really made an effort to try and and go or my parents did anyway um and also for us to kind of you know make sure that we were connected with our heritage as well and and mm-hmm. I I always felt even though I grew up in the UK I always really did feel like I was from um yeah. Japan and the UK I never if someone asked me where are you from I'd be like oh, I'm you know from Japan and the UK and they'd be like yeah but you're British aren't you I'm like well no I'm not actually <laughs> <laughs> it's true you know because yeah. it's, um, 
it's a deep seated feeling. I can relate to that being um, Greek yeah. and Australian because when they hear me speak, I have an Aussie accent, but I'm very connected deeply with my Greek heritage. And it's something personal, I think, to everyone where they come from and how they identify with the, both elements or if there's more than two. Yeah. Um, you know, because it forms who you are. Were you speaking Japanese as well when you were visiting? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So even, mm. I mean, before my sister was born and kind of before she could start talking, I was only really speaking Japanese. So up to the age of three, um, my mum would speak to me in Japanese. And if I went over yeah, there, uh -huh. I'd speak Japanese. So really, I didn't, I learned a bit of English, but really it was Japanese was my first language. And oh, then, fantastic. yeah, and then when I went to nursery, obviously English and a little sister English. Mm. And then, mm. you know, as, as I got older, a lot of my Japanese has kind of fallen out of my head box. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always there, though. It's exactly. There. When I'm there. You know, in, um, in Australia, we're, we're sister countries to Japan. Yes. Um, so we have a close affiliation with um, that wonderful country and I still haven't been, I can't believe it. But I remember many of my um, friends were learning Japanese and I learned Japanese for a year after leaving high Amazing. school. And it was, I mean, it was frustrating because there was so much content and I just couldn't do it for too long. For a year I was like, I really need to immerse myself and I'd love to go one day. But um, I love the language and I love the culture. So you're very fortunate to have that colourful background, you know. I was going to say, would you say that there was influence from that background to music or was it mainly in the UK that you fell in love with music? I think probably in the UK um, I was very much kind of top of the pops you know, whatever was on the charts, I was like dying to kind of listen to. Um, and then obviously we were big vinyl listens, listeners as well. So whatever my parents had, yeah. I'd be listening to there. So there's a lot of Carly Simon, Beatles oh, and um, nice. Lionel Richie. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it was just a kind of mishmash of lots of different things. But yeah. there was always music going on in our house. Both my parents are avid music lovers. Um, my dad played drums um, and um, like amateur level and my mum kind of used to play a bit of piano and guitar as well and kind of um, made us play piano well made me play piano from a young age and violin for my sisters and okay. yeah it was always it was always music around it was always a piano line around or a violin or a guitar there was always something kind of about That's which was, fantastic. Which was, yeah which was really nice actually did you find yourself writing little songs early on or poetry or things that were starting to form into that, um, you know, music making world? Funnily enough, no. I, I found it really hard to express myself as a child verbally and um, unless it was in extremes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so actually it was through movement. I used to do dance. I used to dance a lot. And actually that was my first kind of step into artistry, I think, and, okay. and finding my, my voice through movement. And, um, and actually, yeah, I, I kind of learned to express myself through words at a much later time. Actually, it wasn't until I was probably about, I think I dabbled at 13 uh, with okay. songwriting. Yeah. So when I was 13, I went to sing with the English National Opera um, from my school. Wow. I auditioned and luckily for me, I got in with, uh, I think, 12 other girls and 12 other guys. And oh, um, yeah, <laughs> oh, it really was. I just, and I'd always danced, I'd always done ballet and I never really, I, you know, I just took singing as a, that's what, just what you did. I never thought that's what, you know, something mm -hmm. I could do. It was just something that I did. And yeah. um, 
and yeah and then after that I just fell in love with singing and the theatre and and uh, mm. I also haven't been in girls schools my whole life I was like oh there's boys at theatre as well <laughs> <laughs> imagine yeah it really opened my eyes up as well because I was yeah so protected growing up so it was really nice to kind of um, kind of fall into this beautiful colorful world you know absolutely loved it Wow. Um, yeah and then after that I was hooked you know I was yeah. singing all the time I was going singing competitions I was having lessons just you know whatever I could do to sing and perform you know I just so you weren't so shy then after that no, I mean, I still found it hard to say what I felt, and I still do now as an adult, if I'm honest. But I yeah. think, um, yeah, I think I, I found my way through music, not in everyday mm. life. Like, I'd say mostly day-to-day -day I'm fairly introvert, but actually being able to express myself through art and movement and singing was actually the first time I was you know learning to express which yeah. was quite nice yeah and so aside from your parents vinyl collection what influenced you or who influenced you and the pop you know that you were hearing in in the UK was there anyone else in particular that you know was someone from the school that you were going to mm. or you know one of the creative outlets that influenced you to particularly think I could do this for a living or I decide I think probably my music teacher at, from that school who kind of pushed me into not pushed me but encouraged me to go and audition and, and made me realize that this was something that could you know that there were jobs out there where people mm. sung for a living or danced for a living or you know played music for a living and and I and I think that was ever since then that seed was kind of planted and I, I don't think I ever thought that I would do anything other than something in the arts like I thought I was going to be a dancer or a, mm -hmm. or go into theatre um yeah and my parents were great they really encouraged me I think they I never did at any point did I think you know this isn't I mean obviously I get the whole um oh what's your backup plan uh, it, but I you know I went to college and I did French German performing arts and music and then like and then left French and German and just did performing <laughs> arts and music. So I think it yeah. was pretty clear what was going on, really. Yeah. I they're very fortunate to have parents that are supportive in that way as well. Yeah. Because, we're, you know, you say we're figuring ourselves out so much back when we're younger and, and it can really, like, drive us in different directions. We can actually convince ourselves that it's impossible to lead any creative life um, as a living. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know. I think I was – and both my parents were self-employed, so I think I mm -hmm. kind of – knew that they they also didn't really um go with the norm either so I, I think I felt yeah. like I could which is really yeah. nice yeah you were in a stable environment to see that people before you were doing it yeah actually, yeah wow I wish I grew up with you oh, <laughs> we can adopt you you can be my sister that's fine <laughs> and well in terms of you know having both uh sides of your mum and your dad's background would you say that you've um injected that into your music now is it influenced your style and your approach to what you write and how you perform definitely I think um from very very much from a visual point of view I take a lot from my Japanese side I think um mm -hmm. so a lot of the artwork and and I'm sure because I am living in the UK I think I almost feel this kind of innate need to like fill my life with a, a lot more of Japan so I think kind of mm -hmm. subconsciously I've I've kind of ended up doing that with my artwork and uh, mm -hmm. you know and aesthetically 
I mean, Japan is stunning. It, it really oh, is yeah. really beautiful. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a few different things going on there, but definitely the the um, artwork side of it is definitely more Japanese um, mm-hmm. influence. It's your identity, so it's a nice way of actually presenting it. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah. And then I think yeah. musically, it's everything. Like, you know, I love my dad and I would harmonize. We play with rhythms at the table. Um Wow. Everything was easy to sing along, sing along a ball to. See, that's making sense. Everything was easy to <laughs> sing along to. So I think a lot of that with my music is, you know, quite simple melodies, but you know, quite interesting rhythm and some nice harmonies. And and I think it's it's definitely, you know, what my environment has definitely influ- influenced my sound. Um, yeah. And I think it does with everyone, whether we like it or not. Yeah. I think it just kind of ends yeah. up being that, doesn't it? Totally. And I guess on that, where you say there were simple melodies and, and things that you could sing along to, would you say um, that led to your shows, from what I understand, being more interactive, you know, having the audiences um, be more involved and participate, you know, to sing along with the songs or to be, how does it, talk us through how your shows are um, typically, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they vary, they vary. So yeah. if, if I was to talk about my kind of, the, my gigs that I've been lucky enough to do like I did one during the summer outside mm. um but imagine it's not COVID time imagine there's no yeah. pandemic <laughs> a small theater um and I'm one of these weird people that actually loves silence and I know a lot of people love a bouncy jumpy room when they're gigging but I absolutely love to kind of I don't know hold the attention and take people in different directions and and try and challenge people to sit still and I think that's quite hard in a place especially in London where you know where I was doing most of my gigs um and um so I love a seated audience I start a cappella um walking onto the stage then starting something then introducing another musician and it kind of builds actually my shows tend to kind of build up um the last few years I've been working with a a kind of a tech craft wizard called Sam Topley. She's amazing and she builds circuit boards and all kinds wow. of mad instruments. And um, she made me a giant pom-pom with a, <laughs> with a Wiimote inside, which is hacked to make as a MIDI. Okay. So I'll throw that out to the audience at some point during the show and they'll play along to it. So they're part of the band and they're having fun and, and they're actually starting to interact with each other. And so it's yeah. kind of challenging these kind of social norms of where you're kind of going into place with your mates without kind of interacting with other people where I'm trying to encourage kind of a wider network of people mm-hmm. to get to meet each other or play with each other, especially adults. We don't play enough. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love the fact that I guess you feel probably what I would guess is the closest to that is, you know, festivals because you feel like you're really bonding with everyone in an experience over, say, a day, sometimes a few days, um, but not necessarily in individual gigs, particularly, like you say, in London, it can be a bit sort of standoffish. Yeah. Um, I never forget, actually, I saw this uh, gig, um, Swedish artist, um, oh, Licky Lee. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll never forget because I just loved the ballsiness of her getting annoyed at the UK. <laughs> <audience>. <laughs> 
it was at Coco's and everyone was so standoffish oh. and cool, you know, we're all laid back and just taking it in, but nothing given to her. Like oh. she was getting no vibe. And she told all of us off. And I thought, oh, I love you a little bit more. That's so good. <laughs> that is so good. It's so true. So I love the fact you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then at some point I make them do something even more awkward. So I have a rope, um, a rope synth which is basically a little circuit board that I made which Sam showed me how to make it and then it runs the conductive thread runs down this rope and um, I hold it out on one side and then I hold it out on the other side and then everyone holds hands the whole audience holds hands and then we create and then we create a sound together so once the last people hold hands together in the room and the circuit is complete then the sound there's a noise comes out basically <laughs> and what's the noise normally what's the sound uh, it's, I mean, gnarly. it's gnarly it's gnarly it's, it's, it's a one oscillator synth so it's literally like <laughs> yeah it's it's not a pretty sound but I quite like it <laughs> yeah yeah allowing people to feel as well like I'm very I think because I struggled so hard to talk about my feelings and be able to express what I really meant um mm. The way I write is very simple. Like I, I don't, I don't use a lot of metaphors. Um, mm-hmm. I because I've, I need to say what I need to say, uh, you oh. know. So I think sometimes the very blatantness of my words sometimes really allows other people to feel it themselves without being subtle. And um, right. you know, I, I talk about addiction quite openly. Um, I talk about so one of my songs eggshells is about it's about addiction it's about family dynamic it's about um you know uh it could be even eating disorders as well like the opening line is um about an eating disorder and quite openly about that and and I think it 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 allows people to you know to just to fall into it and and I think that someone said to me the other day like by being vulnerable you allow other people to be vulnerable and and I think that's really important Mm for me as well yeah Yeah. I love that because you know a lot of the times we want to feel safe and it takes somebody else to do it first (laughs) take the first move and then think oh okay I think I can you know trust this person and talk to them whether it's a conversation but you're actually doing it on a larger scale which is incredible you know to to have that kind of openness from people yeah um through your through your artistry through your music you know that's quite incredible particularly as you say um you weren't expressing yourself um as much before um growing up so that yeah as I said I can't wait to actually experience this (laughs) oh I can't wait for you either (laughs) I'll probably be there saying listen you hold it this way love it love it so Going on to this oh, wonderful career so far that you've had, it's been quite um, diverse. You've worked with different people. You've done your own shows. Um, amongst all of that, would you uh, – I'm sure you've got many, but would you have a standout moment that in particular perhaps humbled you or grounded you, you know, and you remember it as a, a standout moment? Yeah, you? definitely. So Skunk and Nancy were meant to play there. Um uh, the year that the horrific shootings happened and then we were there a year later to do the tour that um, to do the show that got cancelled and um, and I have to say that I took a step inside and literally just shivers up my spine and 
just thinking of you know our sisters and our brothers that were there um loving music you know and it and the show that night you know we talked about it and the show that night it kicked off it absolutely kicked off and actually the same again the night after the Manchester bombing um for Ariana Grande we were playing we were also touring and we were playing in Bristol the next night and everyone everyone's going you shouldn't be playing you know venues are being targeted and um and we went no we're going to do it and we did it and honestly that night in Bristol it kicked off the the energy of defiance of people being you know we love music and you cannot shut this down you cannot shut us up because we this is a lifestyle that we will fight for and and you know what that was on on these occasions that you you get to glimmer humanity really living is just Mm. phenomenal and honestly it is so humbling to Mm. you know you have like an existential moment on stage it's like oh my god this is this is happening this is real and we're we're like yeah. balancing in a in a we're in a ball in the middle of nowhere <laughs> just so weird. and i'm conscious of it what <laughs> wow that yeah. was the uh the bataclan theater wasn't it bataclan that's it thank you yeah. thank you yeah. yes and that feeling of it being palpable, you know, how we're all the same. We're all one, in a way, how we feel now, how vulnerable we are with what's going on in the world yeah. and the uncertainty. It really does. Um, I mean, my hair's just stood up, just imagining that moment, you know, because I can just feel how palpable that would have been on stage, in the audience, and how unifying it would have been for everyone because they're there for music and you were willing to go through it and give it regardless because it was a powerful medium yeah and I I also remember we didn't do a minute silence but we did like a minute's like cheer and honestly it was oh (laughs) thunderous yeah totally oh it's brilliant oh my god yeah yeah I think we were all moved around the globe when we when we heard you know it's one of those things because you just don't expect or or um it doesn't go together you know to have that kind of animosity in such a joyous mm. environment so it's really sort of shell-shocking you know to imagine that because everyone's not on their guard obviously of course, going for a yeah. good um so wow god that's a really humbling moment yeah massively massively and I think also it it really made me realize that playing music is really healing for so many people and um you know it's quite easy to think we have a really frivolous job to think oh we get to prance around on stage and put makeup on and glitter and yeah (laughs) but actually it's a really healing space for so many people and you know, we yeah. have a massive responsibility, I think, of being able Absolutely. to provide that for people. And um, yeah, it, it's, it felt, yeah. yeah, it feels good to, to sometimes become aware of that. Wow, I love that. I love that. And we do have a big responsibility because, you know, whilst we're enjoying ourselves, we are communicating and what we communicate is really important um, as much as how we communicate it, whether it's off stage or on stage. But you're right, it's super healing. And I mean, I, I remember doing a couple of gigs, just little gigs, you know, um, sort of grassroots in, in within London yeah. venues. And coming across, um, you know, some people that were return offenders, they loved coming to the gig yeah. and, and doing the music. But some of them were 
very ill, mm. you know, and it really struck me because rather than being at home recuperating, even, you know, some coming out of hospital, they went straight to a gig wow. to see music, to lift their spirits and somehow leave in a better place than they were before they turned up. And to me, that was something that humbled me because I never knew that people would do that, you know. But music will prevail. It will. It, it will. absolutely will. You know. <laughs> so how have you found within lockdown? How have you expressed yourself and continued to create and perform, if at all? Um, I know you mentioned one last last summer, but have you found it a struggle? And how have you kept in in you know your hands in the game? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I I realise what a connection junkie I really am. Because I <laughs> I didn't actually. At the beginning of lockdown, I went, you know, of course, I got, I got the microphone and the sound card <laughs> interface. I was like, well, I'm going to do loads of recording now. And I, you know, I did do some and I did a bit, bit little bits and pieces. But actually, you know, one of, and I've told you this before, why, my why, you know, the reason I do music is to connect with people. And, mm. um, and, and actually, I really missed it. And I found myself, and, and you know this as well, but. I found mm. myself making a cinema, an outdoor cinema, just so that I could connect the whole <laughs> local area. So like, <laughs> oh, I love that. Music. I love it so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I could have just baked some cookies or something, but no, I had to yeah. like put on a massive cinema for people, and and it was great. You know, I I, I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I think some no others amazing. And all safe and within government guidelines. And, and that was a whole learning curve as well of like knowing what this, knowing what to put an event on was going, was looking like within this, within this um, space really and this environment. Mm. And so I ended up doing, I suppose it was like three festivals in two months. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We need people like you. Somebody needs to do it, you know, and the people will come. It's definitely going to put me in an early grave. <laughs> I was so burnt out. Was the stress level uh, it worth it? It was, it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. Yeah. Did you know what? Just, just to see people enjoying themselves. We had someone come to maybe our third or fourth showing of a film and and she just wow. burst into tears the moment she came to us. And she was just like, this is the first time I've been out in three months. You oh. know? And it was just like, wow. You know, to be yeah. able to give people yeah. a space where they could feel safe outside yeah. and actually enjoy themselves and make them feel special. And and yeah. um, and and I just, yeah, it, it really did fill that hole for me, I think. And, yeah, it's not music, yeah. but for me, it's, it is connection for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So that's your driving force, isn't it? Yeah, really. For sure. Yeah. Well, on the subject of um, connecting through learning, you know, you've certainly um, done and continue to do, which is how we met <laughs> on an incredible um, artist development course through ICMP for, I think, a good eight yeah. weeks. Um, what would you say, I mean, in sharing your wealth of knowledge to others, what knowledge or insight? has it provided you uh, about yourself and your abilities wow <laughs> what a question um <laughs> I really fell into teaching actually so when when I stopped I was on tour for about three years solidly really and when I came back from the tour um 
suddenly I had like a whole, a whole like life full of what am I going to do now? Um, <laughs> and luckily for me, I knew some people that taught at ICMP and they welcomed me in there and, and I absolutely loved it. And I fell in love with teaching. And I think what it is, is mm -hmm. that I, when I, when I left uni or college rather doing music, I never, I never had a mentor or I never had anyone to lean on or, or kind of ask mm. questions to. And I, and I didn't really understand how to make music or how to release music also because it was a really different time then as well. It was very much record labels. So I was, Ooh. I was kind of delving into releasing my own music and putting it all out on my own back in 2009 without really knowing anything. And I, and mm. I think I, I really want to be there for younger artists or, or any artists um, going in mm. and kind of venturing into this world and be a sounding board, you know, not to tell them what to do, but just if, if, if they have a question, you know, to just be like, I don't know, I'll look out for you or I, this is what I think, or, you know, and I think it's mm -hmm. really important mm -hmm. as, you know, again, it's, it, it boils down to connection again, to, to be able to kind yeah. of give, give a network to, to artists, to be able to, to grow safely as mm. well without feeling lonely or alone. I can definitely vouch for that because having done that course um, with you, it was, first of all, so engaging and inviting because it felt like a really safe space um, to express and to ask questions, no matter how silly we each may have thought they were <laughs> at the time, you know. Um, and you were so giving and, and gracious to support, as you said, not necessarily tell people what to do, but offer your experience. Did you find that that was um, surprising to you that you enjoyed it so much, having not talked? Yeah, before? I think so. I think it really, it I I think it really went against a lot of the beliefs that I almost grew up thinking. Like, a, you know, there's this kind of weird thing that people are like, oh, if you're a music teacher, you're just like a failed musician. <laughs> <laughs> which is such a weird thing that people used to say and that is a thing you know um yeah. but the truth is is that it's it's such a giving thing and I was really surprised at how much I love it and how much I enjoy yeah. it um yeah definitely yeah. And, the, and the one thing yeah. I probably learned the most about it is is that again it's a two-way street like I, even though I've got this idea that I am the teacher or I'm the lecturer the truth is, is that half the time I'm actually learning from the students too. Right. That's what I was yeah. thinking because it's so, it's so, um, like you say, two way, you know, what you end up giving, you get back in a different way. Um, and it's so nice. Uh, to be honest, I actually thought you were teaching for a lot longer because you were so um, natural at it, you know, and engaging um, in terms of um, imparting your knowledge. You know, everyone obviously has different styles when it comes to, um, teaching or lecturing or mentoring but but yeah I think uh, you're doing an incredible job and I think you're really affecting a lot of people in in your style of of um, sharing your your knowledge I thought I'd oh, that thank you so much it's <laughs> so nice to hear it definitely benefited me you know and especially at last year where we were all in the thick of it you know not knowing what's going on and having opportunities like that come up with such um you know, kind souls. It was really enjoyable to do it. You know, I really looked forward to it and it lifted my spirits every week because I felt like I was engaging, I was learning, I was interacting with others. And yeah, you were perfect. Oh, perfect. It was such a lovely bunch <laughs> of humans as well. It was so it really special. Was. <laughs> 
So how would you say the the music industry is now? Because you mentioned before with labels and how it was, you know, uh, before when you were touring and even before that. How would you see that the change um, has occurred in that? I think it's come out of necessity, really. I think, um, you know, there's a lot more people doing music. Um, mm. And obviously the demand is different as well. The, the amount of money that's in the industry is not as much as it was, you know, in the late 90s. Mm. Um, mm. And it's a whole different format with streaming and people are consuming music in a different way. So it needed to change. And, and sadly, the, the, ind- the music industry just wasn't quick enough to kind of get there with, with the consumers. Um, mm. I'm really hoping that uh, they learnt the lesson from then mm. for now and and actually you know we kind of go into to our future of music and the industry with this understanding that it's not going to go back to the way it was there will be elements of the way right. it was but I think we also need to grow from it so we need to have mm. you know live shows but with you know with it being filmed in interesting and innovative ways and 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 mm. letting people consume from home as well as going to gigs because mm-hmm. there will always be people that want to mm-hmm. go to gigs always but actually mm-hmm. giving people the opportunity to also go and see a gig through a vr um you know vr goggles mm. or or even just watching on a laptop mm. i think i think mm. it just opens up new avenues and i think um and i think that's that can happen at all levels i don't think it has to necessarily be to to major artists i think smaller venues small capacity independent venues can also do it too you know we have a re- like you you've got family all across the globe right mm. Mm. and i think yeah. why not be able to reach to those people too and i think it's kind of opening out to a global society rather than kind of uh brexiting it all <laughs> Yes, <laughs> well said. So, if it, is it fair to say that you know, if you could click your fingers now and change something in the industry, would be to make it more accessible through the mediums that we have now with technology? Definitely, I think. I think there should yeah. be. I think with music, it, there's already free movement going on. There's free movement going on mm. with streaming, with online uh, delivery, with YouTube, and 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 and. I feel like it should be like that everywhere. You know, if we can, if we can play music in that way as well, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That. That's so cool. And I love the fact you encourage us to go with the change because it's easy to get frustrated and sort of um, wish it was a certain way, whether it's like before or a certain way that makes sense to you. I mean, in terms of that aspect um, moving forward, what would you say the best way to monetize for artists would be? Because there's so much available now for people to hear online. Look after your people. That's what I'd say. Look, Mm -hmm. find your tribe, grow your tribe, look after your tribe and the tribe will spread and grow. Mm -hmm. Essentially build a fan fan base like it used to be in the 80s and 90s, you know? Yeah. Yes. And, and, but, (laughs) And also going back to kind of fan club days, you know, so I've, I've got, yeah. I've got a, a, a page on the, it's called the floor, which is like a British Patreon. So I have a monthly okay. subscription where people subscribe to my content. Um, okay. It's a very small um, uh, group of people right now. And I think it's really nice because we're doing like, you know, every other month we'll meet up on Zoom, we'll have a chat, check up, make sure everyone's fine with each other, you know, check in, building that community. Um, and um, yeah, just keep 
growing and 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 make sure that you look after people and you keep i don't know i think i think um yeah subscription stuff definitely is the way forward for now but i think it's mm -hmm. also about just saying yes to a bunch of stuff and trying things out as well yes i mean in terms of um you know things that are on on available on platform you've also got a uh, a creative uh, creative courage circle. <laughs> First of all, I love that name. Um, but is that another element of being accessible and available online to present yourself? Um, tell us a bit more. Yeah, so the creative courage circle was kind of born out of two ideas. So the ICMP do a amazing songwriting circle, um, which they've kind of taken from Nashville and brought over. Sophie Daniels has brought over and kind of made it very much a, an ICMP songwriting circle, which is beautiful, where it has like songwriters in the round and you they all sing a song each in the round and kind of talk about the songwriting development of it, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And they asked me to host one of those for a female-only one. And mm -hmm. I already ran... Um, all-female meetups at my house for women. It was actually a, um, a writer and artist called Cleo Wade who came over from the States and she showed us how to do this. And I kind of took it forward. And um, so you do, a, it's called a pussy storm. <laughs> so you can do a Trinity, which is what I do now in the Creative Cairo Circle. So you ask, the, you ask artists three questions. Uh, so they now perform... Uh -huh a song or a poem or do a dance or read a part of a book that they've written. And then afterwards I'll ask them a brag. So women don't tend to brag that much. You know, it's very much kind of, mm. oh, we'll just get on with it. And that's fine. You know, don't make a yes. fuss. <laughs> so it's a place where we actually go, come on then. Yeah. Tell us what, how are you amazing? <laughs> tell me why you're amazing. <laughs> um, and then the second, after the second performance, it's uh, what you're grateful for. And then after the third one is what is your desire? So kind of leaving the circle with an intention for yourself um, to kind of walk out of really. So, um, yeah, I, I again, I think there's so much going online and this kind of works with what I'm already doing anyway. And, and it just kind of stuck. I mm. thought it, it wasn't meant to be something that I continued to do. But, you know, we're nearly a year in now. I started it at lockdown and yeah. um, and I absolutely wow. love it. It's a really lovely space. and. Every week, every mm. month, sorry, is a different art, diff, are different artists. We always have about four artists. So, um, it's on the floor, and then oh, they okay. and they push it out to Facebook. Yeah, so um, the amazing okay. team at the floor, they actually, they call it gluing out. So it, it goes out on about five different channels at the same time, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. and again, just to monetize oh. it and just to make sure the reach goes out to as many people as possible because they're, they're just you know, Facebook and Instagram and all these social medias, they don't work for independent artists. The, the, al the, al uh, the al mm. algorithms, algorithms, the algorithms, they don't work for us. So that's why we have to try mm. and um, use it, use the program in a way where we are benefiting. And if you've got some tech wizards as well, try and get them to, to, to use it in yeah. a way where, we, you know, you can try and get as many, as much reach as possible, basically. Fantastic. I love I love all this advice because I'll be listening back to this going, okay. <laughs> there's so much that we have to do and obviously there's a lot on us now as independent yeah. artists to do and keep up with, you know, with ever changing um online 
Oh, it's too much. It's too much. And and it can be really crippling for artists creatively as well when you're constantly trying to keep on top of it all. And I think you have to remember that the song is the most important thing. You know, the song and, you know, the true reasons of why you're making music. And I think it's very easy for us to get bogged down of not of scarcity, of not being enough or being heard enough or, you know, and the truth is, is that you're amazing because you've put music out and you've made music full stop. That's it. You know, that's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I love it because we do um, have give ourselves a hard time sometimes. Oh my God. And we have to remind ourselves that, you know, even sustaining what we do is, is something to celebrate. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say you're brewing at the moment, Erica? I am trying to write. I've actually had a really hard couple of years of songwriting where I've really just not, I've fallen out of love with it. And um, okay. and I'm kind of getting into it. I've had life stuff going on and, and um, bits and pieces. And I think part of it is that I'm still in the process of processing it (laughs) so I'm not able to really talk about it yet like I said to you I still find it quite hard Mm -hmm. to express myself (laughs) so yeah it's about the way of what it is I want to say and how I want to say I know I want to write about I want to do a concept album around fertility and and women's um and how um you know I'm in my late 30s and um Mm -hmm. there's this kind of pressure that we should have children or yeah. or then do we want yeah. to have children or and then I I might I've actually struggled to um get pregnant so um we've been trying lots of different things so then there's this added pressure okay. of like you know what happens if we can't and we you know can't have children or it's yeah. just it's multi-layered and multifaceted and I kind of want to mm. make a body of work around that and I think because I'm still in it, um, I find it quite hard to process what it is I want to say rather than just say everything all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, got so it. So that's got brewing. It, yeah. I've got like maybe three or four songs that I'm kind of working on um, that I'd quite like to kind of complete and, uh, yeah, start kind of getting into the production levels of it. But mm-hmm. I've I've released my last four releases have been EPs and I really want to get an album out this time. Ooh, yeah. So I think it's a concept okay. album around fertility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, which is an extension of you um, touching subjects yeah. that perhaps are not so open. Totally. And I think sometimes that's why it's a bit harder for me to write. Cause they are so personal um, that I need mm. to make sure what I'm writing is protecting myself, but also being open and vulnerable yeah. enough to be able to be truthful as well. And I think yeah. when you're really in that moment of pain, it's actually quite hard to know what you want to say sometimes. Yeah. And you can tell as well, given the subject matter of your songs um, and the way you connect with people, um, the authenticity is there. Like you say, people feel that straight away when you've got the honesty. Um, and that's really, really refreshing. You know, sometimes in conversations you don't have that open openness because everyone is processing their own things as well. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes that people open up when the other person opens yeah. up first. It's almost like an invite. 
Um, so uh, I can't wait to to see that body of work in an album. Yeah, form, you know? me too. That's what moves us and that's what unites us. And I have to say, like, oh, I don't want this conversation to end, but your honesty has been amazing. I love I love what we've spoken about. I love what you've opened. Thank you. It's actually, that's the first um, time I've ever shared that with anyone, you know. So thank you for, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, I feel thank honored. you for that. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's going out there into the ether as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, which is the first step to... To healing things because obviously you expressing yourself in such an honest way and allowing the space for it to be ready when it's ready um, is is all part of your it's your uh, journey first and foremost beyond all our listening is whatever comes out is going to be the the aftermath so to speak in a product form of an album or whatever yeah. it becomes but yeah. that's obviously the necessary stage it's like respecting yourself to go through all those stages for it to be presented in an authentic way so it's really refreshing it's really you know I find that inspiring personally because I also struggle with you know really getting to the core of honesty and then translating it into um whatever art form it is whether it's songs or right. writing or you know even this yeah. podcast to me is just another expression of of creativity totally. by talking so you know I, I love that so you've inspired uh, me today girl. thanks <laughs> oh and before we say goodbye, um, I want to ask you the name of this podcast. What does it mean to you between the sound? Does it conjure up anything? Um, because it's so individual for everyone and I love hearing those. For me, it's the silences. Um, and I think, the mm. you know, when we think of music, we think of notes. But if we didn't have space, mm. then we wouldn't have music. So for me, really, it's about... Mm absence of sound yeah mm, love that yeah which also is um given what you said earlier the that silence going into that um space and inviting people into that space in your live shows yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. love it erica i have loved it i've loved it i'm so glad you were oh thanks this. for asking me emily um, honestly yeah. it was so lovely to chat to you a little bit longer and to have you to myself as well <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait for people to hear this and get to know you a little bit more. And where's the main place we um, can find probably you? on the floor.com forward slash Erica and that's Erica with a K and that'll kind of link you to all my socials and all my latest music and you don't have to be a subscriber, you can literally just like it and you'll get a lot of content there as well. So yeah. Beautiful. Erica, it's Yay, been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>